Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Amen. Good Tuesday afternoon to you. I am Pastor Michael Miano. Thank you for tuning in to Bible Beacon Broadcast. I will be your host for the next hour or so. And it is March 31st, 2015. We are coming up upon the end of my birthday month. I guess that means my birthday month is over. Um, I forgot it was Ryan Cataldo's birthday month as well when he had visited me. Well, I have to say we've had a quite the amazing past week here at Blue Point Bible Church. Um, literally saw the power of preterism explode here at our church. It was exciting. We had um, Jen Fishburne as a speaker, Brother Joe Daniels, Derek Lambert, Norman Neal, Pastor Steve Schilling, Deacon Ed Silsby. We had comedic acts from Joe Perot and JP. We, Oh, man, it, it was amazing. It, it really was. If you haven't taken the opportunity to just go onto YouTube, put in power of preterism in that little search box, and it will bring up uh, the host of videos done by Mert Melfa at the um, conference. So, again, amazing stuff. A lot more stuff to unpack. Again, um, you know, there was a lot to prepare for the conference. Obviously, a lot to do during the conference. But I think there's even more to do after the conference. So, uh, you know, please be patient with me as I update the powerofpreterism.com and make it uh, accessible. I have to say, uh, Alan Morton with tfcmag.com doing amazing stuff. You know, the brother works behind the scenes, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of amazing things happening behind the scenes within the preterist movement. And, um, you know, I, I think it's cool that we're becoming excited about embracing that phrase, that we are the preterist movement, that we are the power of preterism. And just to see the personalities in person and to see the different things drawn out, even disagreements drawn out. You know, uh, I have to say, Jen Fishburne, amazing presentation about um, if the Bible's about Israel, then what about us? And um, she gave a pretty good detailed explanation about Adam. I always love a presentation that will cause me to go back and study my Bible more, even if I might be wrong. Um, you know, Jeff Vaughn, if this is something with Jeff Vaughn that I'm, I'm known to uh, have happen often, is he proves me wrong, you know? So, um, again... Amazing presentations. Visit YouTube. I'll have them all up at thepowerofpreterism.com in the near future. And a lot more exciting stuff coming from the Power of Preterism Network, coming from uh, all branches of preterism, things that are happening within the community. And uh, wow, and glory to God. So much amazing things. So here we are reading through Exodus. If you, you don't know, uh, now you know our reading is Exodus chapter 19, verse 7 to Exodus 35, verse 19 for the week. Um, last week, we ended right here in Exodus chapter 19. And I just want to read the verses that we ended with and then kind of bring us into a state of prayer here. Here we have the Lord doing amazing things, rescues Israel out of Egypt. And it says here in, in verse 4 of uh, chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. Sorry about that. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... Then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall to be, be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And then starting our reading this week, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And we're going to get to their response here in a moment. So that's where we're at in our reading. Um, I would urge you to watch the presentation with me, me and Pastor Robert Iannicelli. Because although I'm doing a consistent, without presupposition, reading through my Bible for the year of returning to our first love, simply allowing the Bible to say what it says, um, obviously I have an intended goal. I have an um, understanding of the end, of the full scope of Scripture. So 
in that presentation, I pretty much give you a very small version of what I'm going to be drawing out from, you know, now to uh, February 2016. Um, well, we're obviously going to challenge ourselves to see if the way that I have put the story in that presentation, if that is indeed consistent. Um, one of the things that's coming up, bringing a lot of uh, controversy right now, is the whole in Adam thing. Who was in Adam? Are we all in Adam? Was this a particular group of people that were in Adam and therefore the salvation or of the, the atonement was happening to a specific people in that first century period? And then what does that mean for us today? So there's a lot of disagreement and discussion happening in those regards. And I'm looking forward to in the ne next couple of weeks drawing up an article for TFC Magazine detailing my perspective of Israel being in Adam. Not everybody, not all mankind, not you and I, Israel. Old Covenant Israel dead in Adam. So again, I'll be drawing that out in the next couple of weeks here. So if you may, uh, we're, we're beginning Holy Week. You know, again, there's so much exciting stuff happening. You know, this um, Palm Sunday. If you didn't uh, wave around a palm, you know, maybe right now is your time. I've, I've saw some virtual palm uh, wavers around. You can Google uh, palm waving, and you waved your palm on Psalm Sunday. Therefore, you know, you identify yourself as that part of that kingdom of God, recognizing King Jesus in contrast to any kings or you know lowercase gods of this world. That being said, want to set ourselves apart. You know, we're reading through Exodus here, and the Lord is very clear on setting themselves apart. So uh, let's set ourselves apart by beginning with common prayer. Amen? Here we are on Tuesday. I'm just going to kind of read through this with you, share some of my own praises and prayers, and then we'll jump into our uh, contextual reading for this week. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Save us, Lord, but not us alone. Redeem your whole creation. Psalm 71, verses 1 through 3 and 9 through 12. In you, O Lord, have I taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me and set me free. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong rock, my, a castle to keep me safe. You are my crag and my stronghold. Do not cast me off in my old age. Forsake me not when my strength fails. For my enemies are talking against me. And those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together. They say God has forsaken him. Go after him and seize him, because there is none who will save him. O oh God, be not far from me. Come quickly to save me. O oh my God. Save us, Lord, but not us alone. Redeem your whole creation. 14th century anchorite Julian of Norwich wrote this. I often wondered why, through the great prescient wisdom of God, the beginning of sin was not prevented. For then it seemed to me that would have been well. I mourned and I sorrowed on this account, unreasonably lacking discretion. But Jesus answered me with these words and said, Sin is necessary, but all will be well. And all will be well. Every kind of thing will be well. <laughs> it's funny, I actually was in a conversation this week, if I may offer praise right there in our reading. Um, this week I have a friend that I've been going through the Bible. And actually, first I must say, we led somebody to Jesus at the Power of Preterism Conference. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. So uh, th let that just sit there and, you know, that be a moment of praise. But then uh, this, you know, the past couple of weeks, I've had a friend that um been guiding him through Scripture and teaching him some things, showing him some things in the um the power of Scripture and the, the true story I seen drawn out from Genesis to Revelation. And he asked me the other day, well, you know, which is a common question, you know, why wouldn't God just create everything perfect? Now, my question would be is what is perfect? Again, that's in the eye of the beholder, and I do believe God created everything perfect. I do believe the fact that we have that free will, if you, if you may, to um, sin, or we might say that depravity, 
to in his sin either, regardless. But it does give us that freedom, or seeming freedom, to rebel against God. So I believe that that is necessary. Again, sin is pointing mankind to Jesus, the need for a Savior. It's, it's almost like, you know, I, I give you the opportunity for life, but it, since you don't want to choose that life, I have to show you the reason why you really need that life, why it's going to be your ultimate satisfaction, your ultimate joy, and it's going to bring clarity in regards to all the things that you have confusion in. That is Jesus. If you're looking for that, look to Jesus. But a lot of times, yes, we'll, we'll get caught up in, uh, why did God create it this way? Why did God create me? Why did God do this? You know, we're like the grumbling Israelites coming out of the desert that I just preached about. Uh, I'm sorry, coming out of Egypt that I just preached about this past Sunday. But, you know, I have to say it's definitely a praise to see my friends. Um, you know, I have a, a large church group of friends, and then I have a large segment of friends that do not attend church. If you remember the beginning song of this uh, this broadcast was, Go where the wild things are. I believe that is something all Christians should be called to, and uh, you know, reaching the people that are not in the church, the wild things, so to speak, or you know, we might call them, unfortunately, the dogs outside the gates. So, uh, our goal is to bring them in, and um, you know, as I share with my friends, I have the opportunity of continually seeing people just get the message. And you know, what my next step would be is now that people can understand in basic form the, the um, intellectual aspect of the gospel is for God to grab them. And that's something I leave up to the sovereignty of God and allow God to do. Um, I, I believe it's important that we, we learn how to do that a little bit better in Christianity. Amen. So continuing with our, uh, our prayers here, you know, I, I have uh, I lift up the prayers of um, Blue Point Bible Church with them in one accord. We, we have a praise and a prayer session we do each and every Sunday. So, you know, just the Lord knows what we pray about. And I, I lift up your prayers with you in one accord as well, all in and through the, Jesus Christ. Um, if I may ask for prayers for the family of uh, Mr. Eric Vols, a personal friend of mine who uh, passed away yesterday. And um, if I may just ask for prayers of comfort for his family and for his friends and those going through those moments. Please join me in uh, praying the way that the Lord had put down in his first century, to his first century church. And thus, uh, through an applicational manner, we can pray in a very similar regard today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Savior of the world, save us from our sin, our sadness, and our self-deception. Give us courage to live in a world we cannot fix with hope that it has already been redeemed. Amen. May the peace of the Lord Christ be with you. So that's our common prayer. If you may, just uh, bow our heads and we'll go into a time of personal prayer. Heavenly Father, I lift up this broadcast to you, Lord God, for your glory alone. And I just pray that you continue to illuminate the scriptures by use of your spirit, Lord God, and give that spirit to us as we diligently search and seek your word to better understand your will for this world, you as a God above all gods, and ultimately the truth that will lead us into fulfilled lives. Lord, we give you all the glory. We thank you for everything that you have revealed. And we praise you. And in through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so now let's jump into our reading here. This Sunday, you know, I have to I have a bunch of things I gotta say. Um, this Sunday we're actually going to have a different style service at the Blue Point Bible Church. We're going to be doing a Passover um celebration. You know, obviously Easter is a is about Passover. It's about God through Jesus Christ passing that judgment that was meant for all of his creation, but he sums everything up in Jesus. 
you know, the telos, Jesus. One of the books I'll be reading this week, obviously I'll be going over a lot of the details of the Passover, looking at it through a messianic lens. I'll be reading Torah to Telos by Don Preston, sharing many insights from that. Also finishing a great book that was given to me by some fellow preterists, Dynamic Transcendence by Paul D. Hansen. Um, amazing book. I'll be sharing some insights possibly on this broadcast, but definitely in my sermon this coming Sunday. Also, uh, Don, St- Don Preston is constantly defending um, the proper understanding of biblical atonement, obviously from the cross to A.D. 70. And um, I know he's in a current debate I've seen on his Facebook with um, Paul Rakowitz concerning the atonement and the fulfilling events of A.D. 70. So uh, I'll be including some of that stuff, summing a lot of that up. I had seen they got into a little bit of a discussion about the Exodus. So I look forward to going through some of those notes and uh, sharing them with you throughout this week, possibly on Facebook, through email, in my sermon on Sunday, and so forth. So what we see immediately in our text here in Exodus 19 is God has now rescued Israel from, from Egypt, has brought them out of that bondage, and... They lead through the wilderness, they grumble, you know, they're, they're still going. Here they are in the wilderness, and now the Lord has them uh, building a tabernacle. He has set them apart. He has commanded them to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. And they're going to build this tabernacle in the midst of the wilderness. Again, I, I had went to um, the Holy Land experience in Orlando, Florida, and they had a great uh, depiction of that tabernacle experience. I remember today when I was reading about the goat and the badger skins that were to cover the tabernacle. So... um so here we have God drawing out Israel out of this, out of Egypt, out of this bondage, and uh, Israel's response in the verses that we read today, you know, getting into verses 8 and 9, um, Israel says that we will do all that the Lord has said. So now they've, they've created this covenant relationship, and we see the, see the Shekinah glory, this cloud that rests over this mountain, this thick cloud that Moses goes and meets the Lord in. So, you know, then Moses comes down, he... Uh, He's to sanctify the people, and this isn't sanctification from sin. This is to be set apart, Kadash, and uh, to be set apart, uh, similar to uh, Genesis chapter two, verse three, where the Lord set apart the Sabbath, and also um, Exodus chapter thirteen. You see also the same use of um, sanctification or to set apart. You know, they're going to wash their clothes. They're going to be made ready for the presence of God. That's that's exactly what's happening here in Exodus chapter nineteen. The Lord gives them a very clear command not to touch the mountain. And we see this drawn out by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 about the mountain that we have now ascended to. The Christians have now ascended to a mountain that cannot be touched. Again, there was a natural, the Mount Sinai, and then there was a supernatural, if you may, which is Mount Zion, the restored people of God, the spiritual people of God. First comes the natural, then comes the spiritual. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, I believe it is. And uh, so here we have Moses. This is the natural. Again, this is all used as a type to point to Jesus Christ and the fulfilling events in the spiritual that ha- would happen in the New Testament. So here we approach this Mount Sinai, and they're uh, they're going to sanctify themselves for the presence of the Lord. Moses obeys, and he warns his feet people about this coming of the Lord. If you may, Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 20. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud, so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood on the neither part of the mountain. The Mount Sinai was altogether in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. 
And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. So here we have Moses going up. Now he's going up to the, the Lord. And uh, now we're going to begin some commands. You know, the Lord basically calls says that Moses and Aaron are to represent the people, that his sons are not to come up to the mountain. Um, only Moses and Aaron. However, we'll see that Moses is the one that's always going to go up and represent. Immediately when we get into Exodus chapter 20, I know this has always been my uh, my fellow friends that are Seventh-day Adventists. This is the passage they've always brought me to, uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, again, this is just the beginning of the agreement that the Lord is going to make with uh with Israel, if you may, I'm going to read through these here real quickly. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any, make any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord, am your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the sin of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is Sabbath to the Lord. In it you shall not do any work. Nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servants, nor your maidservants nor your cattle, nor the stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and hallowed it. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord God gives you. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thou shalt or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his ass, nor anything that is in thy neighbor's house. And all the people saw the thunderings and lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood far off. And they said to Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, for God is coming to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off. Moses drew to the thick of the cloud where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel that I have seen and talked to you from heaven. You shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make gods of gold. So here we have very clearly the Lord drawing out a relationship with his people. He, in the first, you know, what is the first five commandments, he basically establishes no idolatry. Don't do what the other ancient people around you are doing, making images and worshiping them and worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And obviously he's very strong about Moses being the one who would be able to approach the Lord and uh, don't don't fall into idolatry. That's you know, and then you see the other five commandments of the Ten Commandments are about neighbors, and you're going to see that drawn out here. The Lord goes into much depth on how what the public relations of Israel would be to the nations around them, and then we see uh, immediately here at the end of the chapter, which goes right along with the idolatry, is um, you know make an altar of the earth where you'll do all your offerings and everything else. Again, this doesn't exist in a vacuum. There's a historical culture surrounding Moses at this time that he would have very, that they're in contrast to. You have the pagan worshipers outside of the covenant of God with Israel, 
and you have the God of Israel making this covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. And both of these religions, if you do the historical research, are contrasting each other. One is idolatry to the fullest extent, and the other one is calling us to not commit idolatry. And here the Lord you know, uses that in his uh, Exodus chapter 20, 24 through 26. He even utilizes the aspect of the pagans where the, you, know, you do not go up to the steps of the altar, the nakedness should not be discovered thereon. You're not supposed to build this of hewn stone. Again, if you look at some of the ancient pagan temples, a lot of them are cut out stones, magnificently made with you know man-made structure of stone and everything else. And then they have these steps that you would go up. And obviously nakedness or any type of sexual immorality was almost um, not tolerated, uh, enforced or you know wanted within the temple of the pagans. Whereas here, the God of Israel is calling them to a, um, a sanctification, no sexual immorality, not even your nakedness could be uncovered as you go up steps to the altar. And the altar is to be made of natural because this is the God of all nature. This is not going to be made by man. God does not dwell in temples made by man. He can dwell in his creation. Amen? So that's what we're seeing here in Exodus chapter 20. You get into Exodus chapter 21, and you begin to read about the laws concerning slaves. And uh, again, to me, this is very clear on cultural context. We're not opening up our Bible and immediately reading for us. We must be opening up our Bible and finding out what this would have meant to the original culture. We see laws against killing others and kidnapping is forbidden. I, I was thinking today as I was reading through this, you know, I have a lot of friends that would make the statement, um, well, I think the Bible was just written to keep people in line. Well, now again, remembering the Bible is a collection of historical writings. So now if you were to say something like, I believe the book of Exodus or the law of Moses was given to keep people in line. Amen. <laughs> That's exactly the point. God is hedging about his, his vineyard, so to speak, his people, Israel, and he's giving them a way of living in contrast to the people around them. That's exactly what the Old Testament is doing. We see this drawn out in the book of Galatians where the whole purpose of the law was to, you know, um, kind of bind Israel to the law, re help them recognize their need for a, a savior, and thus God would be would provide sa salvation. That's the story of your Bible. So I agree, absolutely, yes. They're you know telling people not to kill each other and you know kidnapping is forbidden. Sounds a lot like somebody writing something up to keep people in line. Absolutely. We see uh, some very strong things stand out in Exodus chapter twenty-one. For example, those who curse their mother and father will die. They must die. Um, injuries to servants and pregnant women are dealt with in all kinds of ways, verses uh, 18 through 27. And then 28 through 36, we see a lot of property laws. For example, you know, if your your uh, your oxen gets out and decides to uh, attack me or my family or my home or my goods, we're going to have uh, some trouble. You know, there's going to be a payment that's going to be demanded. Or if you're careless, you know, you start digging holes on the, in the middle of the um, forest, and now I just come walking, trying to walk my, uh, I guess, my oxen. <laughs> and, um, he falls into the pit, or I fall into the pit. God forbid we die. You know, again, these are details that were drawn out in the law of Israel. Um, I, I don't. One thing I gotta say is, uh, you know, we have this view out there called theonomists, and they believe that we should, in, you know, introduce the law of Moses into our uh, government, into our society. Thus, the Ten Commandments being on the courthouses and all that stuff. Um, no, no, thank you. No, no. Christ uh, came to set. Israel free from the law of Moses. I, as a Christian, would not like to be put back under that law. I think uh, we we need a conservative, liberal um, society. You know, I I think that we do need to make laws. I do not believe in anarchy. 
Um, I believe actually the Bible teaches very much against anarchy, and I'll be getting to that in a little bit here. Um, so as far as what the government should do, and I, I believe the kingdom of God, which is not supposed to be a government, although I believe Christians should be influencing the government of the world, um, I think we have scriptural standards to live by, and I don't think that it will always be able to be enforced on a mass scale. Again, I, I believe that uh, what judgment you judge others by is the judgment you will be judged by. And I, I definitely see the need for grace in my life, and I uh, would offer that for other people's lives as well. So no the theonomy for me, um, putting me under the law of Moses and so forth. Um, you know, the, those that curse their mother and father will die. I, I'm pretty sure I've heard some of those that adhere to that uh, theonomy uh, aspect that they would kill preterists. They would kill the heretics and remove them from the land. Um, sort of similar to what kind of like a John Calvin had in the 16th century going on over there in Geneva. Um, no, <laughs> we're in the 21st century. I'll pass on that idea. I don't know if that's the uh, the best idea for what our society needs, or especially here in America, um, you know, being here for the pursuit of happiness, liberty, and freedom with people with so many different cultures, backgrounds, political views, religious views, sexual orientations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, thank you. I do not want to be brought under the law of Moses. So uh, I actually believe that that's in direct violation to Galatians chapter 1. Uh, besides, so the, again, you, you see that that would not be the idea. Um, as you get into Exodus chapter 22, you read more about the penalties for theft, uh, more about careless work, loss in trust, what's going to happen then, uh, you know, what you do when somebody gets raped. Uh, you know, this is obviously very contrast to our society is um, I know – Many brothers that I've talked to that, um, you know, when it comes to rape, child molestation, or any type of sexual immoral crimes, um, people would be very quick to enforce death penalty, right? That's what, uh, actually, we see the sons of Jacob in Genesis, they did that exact thing when their sister was raped. You know, they, they said, no, we must go and kill. We must remove the shame, you know, kill these evildoers, right? And, and you know, I, I imagine many of us would have a... Um, have a similar idea, way of thinking about things. Um, you know, me, I, I kind of, I flip-flop back and forth. You know, I do have friends that are in prison for uh, such heinous crimes um, that are Christians now that, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would give them another opportunity to see if they would do it again. However, I do know some men that have, you know, from my understanding, have exhibited fruits of the Spirit, have changed their lives, and I do receive them as brothers and friends. So, again, the need for grace. So, uh, it blew my mind, though, in contrast to our cultural understandings about these things. Here in Exodus chapter 22, if you go to verse 16 through 17, it says, And if a man entice a maid that is not baroth, betrothed, sorry, um, and lies with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. Okay, that is not rape. If a man entices a maid that is not betrothed, okay, so there's a woman who's not married, and he lies with her, meaning he, he lays down with her before they've been married, he shall endow her to be his wife. Right, because again, understanding in that culture, you know, here in my Bible it just says penalty for rape. Um, no, this, this is not what this is talking about here. Um, I, I believe that a lot of times that's another big issue in our society is we fail to recognize the audience relevance of the passages, of the um, context of sexual relations, of the betrothal and marriage um, principles and how all that was – you know, how all that happened in this time. And we, we like artificially enforce 
our view of our culture in there. You know, you hear all kinds of weird views from all these different preachers. Again, here what we're reading about is a woman who is not betrothed and uh, a man who sleeps with her willingly. He needs to now make her his wife because, again, women would have been viewed as property of their fathers until they were sold to their husbands. So, uh, yeah, this is clear there. And then if her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. Um, I'm sure that does need to be elaborated on here a bit, so I'm going to see if I have any fancy notes. The dowry for virgins was 50 shekels of silver or 3250. And we see this being drawn out in Deuteronomy. Actually, real quickly, Deuteronomy 22, 28 through 29. Sorry about that. 22, 28 through 29. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, and lay hold of her, and lie with her, and they be found, then the man shall lay with her. Then the man that laid with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has humbled her. He may not put her away all of his days. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's skirt. Okay, so again, this isn't talking about necessarily rape. Um, this is talking about a guy who lays with a woman. Sorry about that. I actually thought I had that understood and uh, clearly didn't read through the full point of that text right there. So, uh, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Again, here's the clear indictment against idolatry. Um, whosoever lieth with a beast shall be put to death. Again, more of the idolatry in the land at that time. He that sacrifices to any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall utterly be destroyed. So here you have idolatry is for, strictly forbidden. Um, there's death. You know, death for witchcraft, death for bestiality, death for idolatry. And then you, you get the um, penalty for oppression, which I, I find very um, interesting here. I'm going to read through a little bit of this here. Thou shalt not vex a stranger, nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you inflict on them in any wise, and they cry out unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. And we know that this is the story of Israel a couple times over. Um, I would believe this applies to the first century. Jesus comes to save the children from these things, you know, the, the, to redeem the widowers and you know the, the strangers in the land. Um, Israel was supposed to be the nation that would bless the other nations. If they obeyed God and the other nations came against them, God would destroy them. But if they, in their obedience, they were supposed to show the other nations that the true God, the light, so to speak. And uh, what we know that Israel ends up doing is they become self-righteous and they, they kind of... Uh, they no longer are a light that's reaching out to other people, much like a lot of Christians. You know, I have to say, I'm going to kind of char put this charge against the church, that a lot of Christians have this attitude where they've become self-righteous and those people out there are bad. That was not That is the direct contrast to what God wanted Israel and especially what Jesus wants Christians to be. Israel was called to bless the nations. And you see they went wrong. They went wrong in their, their course of their story, and that's why the prophets continually yell at them and continually use uh, what we call prophetic imagination to call the people of God back to the original called out that we're seeing explained here in the book of Exodus. So, you know, they were called out to uh, be different. And if you study, you know, one of the things I brought up the other night at a Bible study about um, Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom was known as one of the wealthiest nations, yet they were known as one of the stingiest nations. I preached about this in one of my sermons a couple weeks ago. They, uh, they would, you know, 
they would discourage visitors. They would have all these weird customs that they would do to visitors to make them very uncomfortable, which I believe is being drawn out in the story of Lot and the visitors at uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. So, again, they were stingy. They, did, they, they said that they would uh, prune their fields to make sure there was nothing left for the stranger, which you're going to see as a direct violation of the law that God gives to Israel, I believe, a couple chapters from where we are right now. So, you see, there's supposed to be people that are blessing other people. That's the the point of um, Exodus chapter 22, you figure from verses 21 to 24. But if you lend money to the people that are poor, you shall not be a usurer to them, nor shall you lay upon them usury. In other words, your interest. You know, again, if you loan money, don't the person has need. You know, don't don't oppress them and make it even more of a burden. Now you've made things even more complicated for the person. A lot of this stuff is common sense, and it's just showing that God was calling Israel out to bless the nations. If you don't mind, I'm going to go into a quick song here, and then we will uh, be right back with more going through Exodus chapters 23 to 35. Yeah. As a deer past flowing streams, yeah. so my soul for you, God. Bloody Mary, I never touched the virgins, nah, they too scary. And then to me, you died since the day of my birth. Now I'm a walking right billboard, obeying my thirst. My lips used to sip from sick mixed elixir. Now I big gulp from big fits of scripture. Living water all in my picture, get the picture. Blowing out my heart is the best kind of addiction. If I go days without seeking his face and start showing, a week outside his presence in the world starts knowing. Sometimes my earnest prayer is to erase my brain Cause 20 years as a pagan, got my mind trained Broke up with the world like I need my face, I gotta breathe But then she looked me in my face like you ain't gotta leave The landlord clued me in till you're cheating I need more for a reason, so I got to get leaving Your face I need to constantly see I need more, never feel I'm reaching my peak I need more, my soul thirsts for you, oh lord I need more Catch me. 
indictment to be set apart. A lot of times that verse makes no sense in our 21st century culture. Um, then we get into chapter 23. Now we have laws, laws against lying, bearing false witness, do not follow the evil ways of others or pervert justice. Don't show partiality in justice. Stay away from lies and false matters. Just get away. You know, and I've learned that if I see an environment that I believe is just completely confusing and lying and full of uh, gossip and everything else, I'm just going to remove myself from the midst of that because the guilty will be punished as verse 7 through 8 clearly says here in Exodus chapter 23. Don't be bribed. I thought it was interesting that in the King James Bible, it says don't accept gifts. I said, wait a minute. You know, that could be erroneously interpreted by many people. However, what it's talking about is, you know, gifts of bribes. You know, if uh, I'm accepting the $20 to say this guy's guilty when he really isn't guilty, I'm just, you know, being – I'm showing partiality. I'm using favoritism in regards to uh, my approach of understanding justice. Then we see in verse 9, again, if the Lord hasn't made it very, very clear at this point, do not oppress the strangers, for you were a stranger, seeing that you were strangers in the land of Egypt. What is God saying through that? To me, I see grace. That you were saved by grace. Why wouldn't you show grace to other people? You see how amazing that is? You're, you were saved with all your flaws. Why do you demand perfection of other people? I think of the Jefferson Bethke video on YouTube. We actually watched it quite a few times uh, the past weekend. You know, why I love Jesus but hate religion. Or why I hate religion but love Jesus. Again, one of those two. Play on the words. Um... Awesome video if you haven't taken the time to watch that. I believe it's about like eight minutes long. Um, to me, that it draws out that that meaning right there. Since you were strangers in the land, you know you should understand the heart of a stranger. Well, we continue getting into other verses. Uh, you know, we read about the Sabbath, and I, I believe the Sabbath uh, here in verse twelve, for example, six days thou shalt do work; on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thy ass may rest. The son of thy handmaid, the stranger, may be refreshed. You see that? If you go back verses ten through uh, ten through eleven, you see even more. And six years you shall sow the land, gather your fruits thereof. But in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie still, that the poor of the people may eat, and that they may leave the beast of the and that. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner, you shall also deal with your vineyard and with olive oil. What is he saying? He's literally saying, be gracious. Don't, you know, don't feel stingy like you have to take every fruit and you know, nobody else should be able to eat from my garden. No, leave it there. God's actually imposing a rest. And what I see with uh, the Sabbath, you know, again, I drew this out in my Genesis um, sermons. You see the, that rest, that seven-day rest, as a depiction of a temple text in the ancient Near East where God is now resting in his creation. He is reigning and resting and ruling through his creation, and that's what we're doing. When we rest from all that were our work on that Sabbath day, which we do in Christ now, but Israel would you know, rest on that seventh day, and that would represent that they are reigning and ruling with the God of Israel, the God who has indeed declared his rest in his creation. That's the story being followed out here. So now God is doing this through a very covenantal, very drawn-out way with all this, this law and everything else that he's establishing with them. Again, in verse 13, if again, if I just showed you from chapter verse 10 to 12, how that's dealing with the Lord declaring his rest and his rule with these people and how they're not to be stingy like the nations around them, verse 13 sums it up beautifully. And in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect, and make no mention of the names of other gods, neither let it be heard out of your mouth. Again, he's very clearly setting apart a people for his worship only according to his standards in contrast to the standards of the cultures around them. And here he declares three feasts that each and every man must appear before the Lord God. 
Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is coming up this week. I believe tomorrow I'm going to a celebration for Passover. Um, this happened right when they came out of Egypt. The Feast of Harvest and the Feast of First Fruits. I'm sorry, the Feast of Harvest is the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of Ingathering. I'm, I'm horrible with the feasts. Uh, I'll admit that now. I, I know Dave Curtis, he has made amazing strides in outlining the feasts and showing the fulfillment of them in Jesus. And in that first century period, I urge you to check that out. Just Google Dave Curtis feasts and you will find a, a wealth of information um, in those regards. Verse 17, three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord. And then we go on to the law of offerings to end that chapter. Um, we have law again against idolatry. And uh, in verse 25... It says, and you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless the, your bread, your water, take sickness away from the midst of you. This sounds an awful lot like Revelation chapter 21. That the Lord is going to provide, the Lord is going to be, he's going to be your God. Again, Matthew chapter 6, he, Jesus declares the sovereignty of God over all creation. So here the Lord's doing that. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in the land. The number of your days I will fulfill. I will send my fears before you and will destroy all the people who shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn back from, un from against you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against you. By little and little I will drive them out from before you, until you be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of your land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in the land, lest they make you sin against me. And if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Very important, because we're going to see this is exactly where Israel disobeys. I'm writing that down in my notes, actually, as I uh, say that to you. So then we get into Exodus chapter 24. And we're reading about the affirmation of the covenant. You know, this is where, uh, matter of fact, let me see how many verses we have here in chapter 24. I'm just going to kind of read through this because I believe it's important to kind of see the affirmation that Israel is giving God. And he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship far off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come with you, neither Shall the people go up with him? So now you see the high priest, they're going to come somewhat up to the, the mountain. They're going to worship outside of the mountain, but Moses is going to be the only one that's going to go up. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. There. Moses wrote down the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill, 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. I, was, I wrote in my notes here, uh, now we're starting to see organized religion in a sense. You know, now Moses is writing things down, so they're going to have a, you know, an established written belief system, which you don't really see drawn out yet in our Bible. So this is pretty much where it's happening. And uh, he's going to write this down. He's building an altar. He's designing the 12 tribes of Israel, these pillars that are going to reflect them. And then he sent young men, the children of Israel, to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in a basin, half of the blood, sprinkled it on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant, read it in the audience of all the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. And again, we know this is the blood of bulls and goats. I'm going to see, uh, I believe it's Hebrews 
that uses that uh, illustration. Yes, Hebrews chapter 10. Actually, I'm sorry. We're going to do Hebrews. Hebrews 9.13 and 10.4. Let's go. Let's take make a jump here to Hebrews. Let's see what the New Testament kind of draws out about this. Uh, this bulls and goats. Because this is exactly what it's correlating to right here is this passage. So in Hebrews chapter 9... Verse 12, we read this. Well, actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to start at 11. Hebrews 9, 11 through 13. But Christ, being come, become, being come in a high priest of good things to come, by greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your consciences from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of the death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they were, they which were called might receive the promise of eter internal inheritance. And then in chapter 10, says, uh, For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when you come into the world, when he comes into the world, sacrifice and offering you, you would not, but a body that if we, you have prepared for me, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. To do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin would not, neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I come to you by the will of God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So we see that's that's the purpose of Jesus. Jesus is going to come to do away with what is being established here. See, Moses is now establishing this covenant all the way from the lineage of Adam. Again, we've drawn out the lineage of Adam Leading up to this point, now we're dealing specifically with the descendants of, you know, if we're, we're going to use the covenant line, we're dealing with the descendants of Shem, the descendants of Seth to Shem, and then from Shem to Jacob, and now we're dealing with Jacob's sons, through Moses being that representation. So you see the story being drawn out, and as you go through Exodus chapter 24, you see a lot of, uh, you know, they saw God, and verses 9 through 11. There's these tablets of commandment. You know, Moses is going to go up, the cloud's going to cover him, and he's going to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Again, we see Jesus at the top of a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Right? Right at the beginning of Matthew, because he's beginning a new covenant. This is a covenantal theme. 40 days, 40, complete. Moses went up to the top of the mountain for a complete amount of time. Jesus went up to the top of the mountain for a complete time. 40, again, I'm probably going to draw that out of my sermon this coming Sunday. All the details of the 40s in Scripture. When you get into Exodus chapter 25, you begin to read about uh, building this tabernacle. You know, you have the regulations of the offerings. You have the building of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the table of showbread, the golden candlestick. Then you get into Exodus chapter 26. You're reading the same thing. You're reading about the linen curtains that are going to guard the, the different sections of the temple. You have uh, 10 linen covers, 11 goat hair covers. You're going to have... Uh, 
a cover of the entire tabernacle by rams and badger skins. You're going to have boards, bars, and sockets that are organized the way that the Lord wants them to be made. Veils, cherubim, and pillars all designing the temple. And then you finally, at verse 33 and 35, you see the setup and you, you find the division of the holy and the most holy place. Here, I'm going to read this real quickly. It says... Sorry about that. I lost my place. 20, Exodus 26, 33 through 35, we read, And thou shalt set the table with the veil, the candlestick over the table, on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put a table on the north side, and thou shalt make a hanging for the door of the tent, of blue, purple, scarlet, fine twined linen, wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging of the shittim wood, nope, Verse 33, under the teaches that thou shalt may bring there into the veil of the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. Thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Thou shalt set the table with the veil, the candlestick over the table, on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. So you see there's a very meticulous design of this temple. And then when you get into Exodus chapter 27, you're reading about the formation of the tabernacle of congregation, which is where uh, the sons of the sons of Aaron would work. This would be the place of their work. And then in Exodus chapter 28, you're beginning to draw out the details of their high priest garments and uh, how these are going to be made. The, um, the breastplate, the umer and thurman, which is basically the judgments of uh, Israel, you know, the phrase. Well, we're going to get back to that in a moment here. And... Uh, you know, that's what you're reading about in Exodus chapter 28. you got all these, these details and all these things, you know, how they're going to make everything. If I may actually share with you some of my notes about the Urim and Thurman. Um, I'm reading out of the Dake's Annotated Reference Bible, a dispensationalist favorite Bible. But uh, I, I do find a lot of the notes to be helpful and uh, thought-provoking. I might not agree all the time, but I find them thought-provoking. So you're going to read this phrase right here, uh, verse 30, And thou shalt put the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Aaron shall bear the judgment of the sons of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. I want to share with you some thoughts about that. The Hebrew word, Urim, plural of Ur, light, flame, fire, is from the root word Or, or to be made luminous, break of day, to give or show light, be enlightened, shine, set on fire. Urim literally means lights. The Hebrew thummim, plural of thumb, completeness, innocence, integrity, perfect, upright, is from the root word tamam, to complete in a good and bad sense, to perfect. Thummim literally means perfections or complete trust, or complete truth. The two words are used together only five times in scripture. The word urim is used two other times by itself. The words are translated in various ways in different versions, lights and perfections, lights and truth, manifestations and truth, and the sacred lots. All we may know about them is what we find in Scripture. Here are ten facts about the umim and thermum. No command was given by God for Moses to make them. He was only told to put them in the pocket or pouch of judgment. Here we read in our text. Moses put them in the pouch of judgment when Aaron was first clothed, so they were already made. Who made them, God or Moses, or whether they were used time is not stated. I believe that's a key to the covenantal aspect of Scripture. Um, the word Urim is used of the high priest giving counsel from God to Joshua in Numbers 27, verses 18 through 23. Levi was advised to have the Urim and Thummim 
always with the high priest for use in a crisis. The Urim and Thummim were mentioned after the captivity of Babylon. They were something material separate from the breastplate pouch and the stones in the breastplate. They were the means of obtaining an answer from God regarding any problem which concerned Israel. Joshua was guided by them in leading Israel into Canaan, Numbers 27, 18-24. He used them in the case of Achan in Joshua chapter 7, but not in the case of Gibeon in Joshua 9. They were used in dividing the land of the tribes after being divided into certain parts by special commissions. Simple directions were given to God, were given by God regarding those who should inherit certain lots or portions. This is where they choose, using the Urmim and Thurmim is ways they chose to uh, find cities for the Levites. The order of the priesthood was settled by this as well. Israel was used them to inquire after the Lord. Uh, Saul was chosen through them. Saul inquired of the Lord through them. God refused to answer him through this when he sinned. Um, the Urmim and Thurmim placed in the bag of the pocket of judgment were perhaps two precious stones, which were at times drawn from the bag to give God's judgment or message. Some claim that one stone had a yes and the other had a no on it, so that whichever side the high priest took out would give a direct answer, either affirmative or negative. The system of obtaining an answer through umimimimim is spoken throughout Scripture. A lot is cast in the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord, as we read in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. So that's that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with like kind of like a a dice or a, something. That's a confusing one. Um, I'll be doing more research on that. And then as we continue our reading, and again, I'm, I'm going to start to end the show on this uh, this note here. As you continue reading through the next couple chapters, right, you're going to read about the garments of the priest in Exodus chapter 28. You're going to read about chapter 29. You're going to read about the offering of sacrifices in uh, chapter 29, verses 10 through 30. You're going to read about what the priest shall eat and how they shall have a holy... Um, Part that's set apart for them in the same chapter, Exodus chapter 29. You're going to read about the altar of incense in Exodus chapter 30. All the way down to uh, then you're going to get to some disobedience, some, some of the uh, the details. The story kind of continues at Exodus 32 is where uh, you start to get into, you know, uh-oh, now Israel is messing up. And from Exodus 32 to about, let's see where we're at here. Um, yeah, so Exodus, about Exodus 34, um, you read those events, and then in Exodus 35, it seems as though the Lord is reinstating that reigning, that, that Sabbath emphasized here, uh, says, Then Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you have, you have to make this a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Again, this was a day that was representing the Lord reigning and ruling through his covenant relationship with Israel. And, you know... Uh, Then you're going to take for among you your contributions. You're going to be bringing them to the Lord. Um, and then we just continue to read about the workmanship of the tabernacle here at Exodus chapter 35. Our last reading is going to be through 10 to 19 for this week. And it says, Let every skillful man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its coverings, its hooks, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the ark and its poles, the mercy seat and the curtain of the screen, the table and its poles, all of it, utensils, the bread of the presence, 
The lamp stands also for the light, its utensils, the lamps for the oil, its light, the altar of incense and its poles, the anointing oil and all the fragrant incense, the screen for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all of its utensils, basins and its stands, the hanging of its courts, its pillars, its sockets, its screen for the gate of the courts, the pegs of the tabernacles, the pegs of the court and their courts, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron and the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Again, that is the story from Genesis 1 all the way to Exodus chapter 35. Is God is creating a covenant relationship, a temple relationship with his creation. God, from the time of Genesis to the time of you know, Exodus, God reigned in his temple. Now we're seeing that tabernacle be built. We've seen the same thing with the Garden of Eden. And uh, we're, we're, we're seeing that story just continue to be expounded upon. And what you're going to find is that God's people were prepared from the beginning to be his temple creation, that which in with, that in which he dwells and lives. God is meticulous. God cares. God is holy. He's set apart. He wants. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want us to fall into the idolatry of the pagan nations or allowing ourselves to come up with any image of our own devising about God. We must allow the word to be true. So far, we have seen God drawing out this very, very drawn-out plan that he is going to do with his people as a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. Thank you for tuning in. I uh, will continue to be expounding upon scriptures week after week and um, dealing with some of the details. Um, obviously, we're going through the book of Exodus. We have about two more weeks to go in Exodus before we jump into uh, a bunch of more details about Israel and what God was really looking to do with this law. Join me in prayer as we end today's broadcast. Heavenly Father, I give you all the glory. Lord, I thank you for that which has been made known to us through scripture today, Lord. And I pray that there is a personal aspect of it that has given us some application in our own lives, Lord. I pray for those listening. I pray that you continue to illuminate the scriptures, Lord, and bring not only a contextual understanding, but an applicational understanding as well. We give you all the glory, Lord. I pray that we continue to walk worthy as those that are called to make known the manifold wisdom of God as a holy nation, as a kingdom of priests, as a peculiar people called unto the Lord. Lord, we give you all the glory in a glorious and mighty Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in. Look forward to being on the broadcast next week.
know me, I know you, we know it. Whenever I fail, you always been there to simply remind me you're blown it. You don't see when I'm growing, you don't see where I'm going. You only see in the moment, you know my mistakes, you never let go it. Huh, don't cease to amaze me, and it drive me crazy. Did huh, you catch every detail that I miss in the songs I'm making? Saying, you will never write a verse like Kendrick, never be the rapper rock out from Hendrix. Tied to the live, you will never be mentioned. Why I aim so high, won't survive the trenches. Plus, you a Christian, Andy, they will never listen, Andy. Plus, we a pigment, Andy. Huh, you don't got skill, you a gimmick, Andy. Well, if I listen to you, and everything you put in my ear, I'll be living like, what up, shut up, could I'll be paralyzed by fear. Huh, ain't that the truth? If I quit, the only way I lose, I got two choices. When I do this, make moves and make excuses huh? If you know who I'm talking about, then you got me My biggest enemy is me, and even I can't stop me They try to shut us down and it ain't gon' slide Only thing I'm in is God and he on the side That's the confidence that God cause he got me That's why I really feel like you can't stop me Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.